came from outer space to fill the world with terror. What earthly power can stop this terror? That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop. The from outer space. Hey guys, it's the podcast from outer space once again with your boy Rob Scott. We got Adam Narlock in the house. Hey guys, thanks for listening. And as always, it's Ryan Scott. Hello, everyone. And today's podcast is brought to you proudly by Pamp Coffee. Check them out on Instagram, Pamp underscore coffee. A small batch organic fair trade coffee roasted right here in San Diego. If you want to go ahead and grab yourself a bag, head over to Etsy.com slash shop slash Pamp Coffee. That's P-A-M-P, motherfuckers. Great stuff. Now, today, we are going to be discussing one of the most influential sci-fi movies to date, none other than Ridley Scott's Alien. So, this is definitely going to be a two-parter episode, um, and... In this series, we want to talk about, you know, influences, creation of the 79 classic, along with uh, all of the sequels and prequels, good and bad. And, uh, you know, we'll probably briefly discuss the crossovers, uh, but the main focus will be the Alien franchise, timeline, new films, and uh, we'll find out how Caviar, Rolls-Royce, and KY Jelly fits into all of this. I didn't know Rob was in any of these movies. <laughs> yeah. Actually, a lot of high class. That's what I learned. Alien, very high class stuff we're dealing with when it comes to British filmmaking. Oh, Caviar and KY. <laughs> yeah, and Rolls Royce. Don't forget Rolls Royce. Yeah. yeah. So, um, research uh, got a site, um, The Beast Within the Making of Alien. Uh, check out this documentary or, or not. Be- yeah, because. <laughs> This is probably one of the most boring, driest documentaries I think I've ever seen. I mean, I think it took me like three days to get through this thing. That says a lot if you're telling me that this is a dry documentary. Yeah. The driest of documentaries. Well, Well, I mean... If you thought we were nerds, just watch this. Yeah. These guys blow us out of the water (laughs) by far. But um, I think we pulled out some good info. And a lot of dick and vagina references. That's what I got a lot of. That's what you pulled out? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Practically everyone in this whole damn thing is talking about um, dicks and vaginas and how everything looks like that. You know, I mean, we'll get into this. but um, Sounds like sex ed week at school. Yeah. uh, Right. You should actually show this movie as... (laughs) <laughs> for the kids. That's what we did hey, last week. A lot know? of, uh, I mean, reproduction, big theme. True. Don't forget your KY jelly and caviar. <laughs> yes. So right off the bat, uh, any thoughts on the franchise? Memories, you know? The research for this episode was actually my first real exposure. Maybe like seeing the movies as a kid, but I don't remember it. So like actually sitting down and watching the first two with Chris. Oh, okay. Good, so y- this is new for you. Oh, yeah. But... uh you know, we talked about this on the Metroid episode a little bit, how Alien inspired lots of movies yeah. and stuff, but definitely the and you could see the yeah. influence it had on Metroid, so I really like that. And even Stranger Things, I think we talked a little bit about like um, its influence there with like the eggs and oh, yeah. the, uh, the, the tunnels, you know, the upside down. Check out those episodes if you, you haven't bubble. already. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, I think I remember seeing Alien like really young. You know, my dad would always show me like movies he thought were classics, and I wa- I remember watching Alien. It freaked the hell out of me, honestly. I got a little bit of a two thousand one vibe when I watched. Really? Alien. Yeah. And I'm okay. honestly asking. I think they were. Ch- 
Uh, a lot of stuff I saw, they were trying to like move away from that, but because that's like a very 2001's like very sterile. It's like this guy's a fucking high level scientist, you know. This one is more like late. Like these guys are basically truckers in space. They were saying, you know. I think just how like I feel like there's not a lot of dialogue. Yeah, there's a lot more. I don't know. Like the whole Metroid vibe, where like you're in, you're just you're the following music her and, around through yeah. these like little claustrophobic corridors. Yeah. First time that I saw it was Alien vs Predator, mm. and then I was like, where the fuck is this alien coming from? <laughs> And then I had to go back and watch it. And thoughts on it? I think Alien's way more badass than Predator, but that's just my personal opinion. So basically the whole concept for Alien, uh, more or less, um, could be credited to this guy, Dan O'Bannon, who is actually homies with John Carpenter at USC Shout out to the alma mater. Yeah, and uh, he helped him on Dark Star. Uh, pour one out this guy actually died in 2009 at the age of 63 Mm. now yeah we did talk about O'Bannon's like influence on sci-fi I think he also did some visuals for Star Wars and uh, we talked about that a little bit in our Halloween episode did you guys Um, see anything on this Dark Star movie yeah yeah (laughs) oh my god (laughs) (laughs) now uh, quick side note uh, did you guys see the new Halloween trailer did not that's your sweet ass I did Looks fucking badass, right? Jamie Lee Curtis coming back? Yes. Now, For this. Some more action. Yeah, check that out if you haven't seen it. Dick new joke. Uh, <laughs> new uh, Halloween trailer coming out October this year. Now, this guy, O'Bannon, uh, looks like fucking Orville Redenbacher <laughs> from watching the documentary. And I could really get a sense from watching this documentary how hard it must have been to work with this guy, you know? There's just some people like that. You're just like, oh, fuck, man. Yeah, but, I mean, we were watching this documentary, and this guy's like, they they stole my script. And, and <laughs> it's like bitching about, like, little tiny things. And uh, really, though, everyone involved in, like, Alien, I think, was, like, constantly going behind each other's backs. And I, I could see the whole thing turn out to be a shit show. I'm surprised it turned out to be as good a film as it did with all the fuckery going on. <laughs> Even the actors on set, a bunch of douchebags. <laughs> and uh, I feel like if you're working in an environment like that, like, I don't know, man. Maybe there's some PTSD or something. I, that's like a... I mean, maybe... I like, know it's just a movie, but... Yeah, I mean, Halloween, like, they were all having fun, laughing it up, having a good time. They're all friends banking a movie, basically. That's because mm. John Carpenter was doing it. And this one is Not like... this clown. Yeah, and they had a way smaller budget. But, um, two mil. Yeah, so in writing the script, O'Bannon says he drew inspiration from uh, many previous works of science fiction and horror. Uh, so, you know, there was really no new ideas um, that weren't already thought up. It was more or less like a his take on these ideas and applying them to a film. And he would go on to say, quote, I didn't steal Alien from anybody. I stole it from everybody. Mm. Uh, you know, he got, so Thing from Another World in 1951, uh, this inspired the idea of the crew being uh, pursued by the alien creature in a claustrophobic environment. Uh, Forbidden Planet from 1956, this gave him the idea of the spaceship uh, being warned not to land, you know, having red flags and then being like killed one by one. Uh, Planet of the Vampires in 1965 has a scene where 
Uh, they discover a giant alien skeleton, just like uh, the space jockey. Is that also where they discovered the artist behind Alien? <laughs> uh, no, that is not. <laughs> but uh, then also Junkyard 53. Um, this was a short story uh, in which a crew lands on an asteroid and discovers a chamber filled with eggs. Sounds like Armageddon. Minus the eggs. <laughs> yeah, the uh, <laughs> only like thing in common is the asteroid <laughs> aspect. <laughs> That's the entire basis of the movie. What about Empire? When they land on the asteroid? And the whole oh, world. the worm? Right. What about um, <laughs> Deep Impact? That has an asteroid in it. <laughs> what about asteroids? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So, you know, really, uh, this uh, this guy, O'Bannon, he had about 29 pages of a script um which went on to become the opening scene, and it was titled Memory. Uh, now, he showed this to Ronald Shusett, uh, who had just obtained the rights to um, We Can Remember It For You Wholesale by Philip K. Dick. Another episode of ours you should check out if you haven't already. Yeah, and that went on to become Total Recall. But basically, when O'Bannon showed him this script he had for Alien, he said, you know, fuck this. Let me shelf that, and I'll do some work on this because it's... It's basically all uh, in one place, more or less, so they could get it done for a much smaller budget. And he wanted Total Recall to be bigger, so he kind of wanted to like build his uh, reputation, you know. So you know, they bang out this script, and uh, essentially, they were ready to make this thing as a B horror movie. Uh, they had no real ambitions or expectations that this would even become an A film. And from watching the documentary, this guy O'Bannon just seemed like he was floating around and just waiting for that big payout. Like he was like, I'm staying on the couch and I, I have to make, I have to sell a script. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, his friend passed on the script to uh, newly formed Brandywine Productions, you know, basically got there through like friend of a friend. And these guys were a new production company with links to 20th Century Fox. Um, and this guy, David Geiler and Walter Hill, basically said, fuck this script. They did a bunch of rewrites and revisions that uh, didn't really sit well with O'Bannon and Shusett. They thought um, these guys just wanted to kind of take their writing credits. So there was already, before we even get this thing greenlit, a lot of um, tension. And there were eight rewrites in total. And, um, but these guys, um, at Brandywine, they did add in the whole Android aspect, which, uh, Shusit thought was amazing. Um, but this didn't really like O'Bannon said it was kind of pointless <laughs> and, uh, it was really, really though, this, uh, the success or the, uh, green lighting of alien can be chalked up to the success of star Wars in, uh, 1977, because as they're trying to get this thing pitched to a company, Science fiction wasn't really big. And um, boom, Star Wars comes out and is this massive hit. And then Fox was like, oh, okay, we're going to green light Alien because that was really the only uh, sci-fi script they had sitting on their desk at the time. Yo, so I, I told Chris, I think it was Monday night, I was like, hey, man, got to watch Alien this week for the research for the podcast. And he goes, oh, dude, can I watch that with you? And I was like, yeah, man. This guy goes, I got to get retard high for this. So it goes, Smokes comes out and goes, before the movie even starts, goes, dude, 
so much Star Wars influence in this. And I was like, you're crazy, man. But then right in the opening scene, I was like, oh, dude, yeah, I definitely see that. So, Chris, shout out, buddy. <laughs> Getting retard high. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, they're, well, actually, no, they were nerds, so they probably weren't high when they wrote it. But, <laughs> yeah, um, right, dude. <laughs> so this goes on. Do you think Ridley Scott um, partakes? Do you think he does any drugs? Probably cocaine, right? That's why he's used in fucking caviar and Rolls Royce and shit. And, yeah, so, uh, <laughs> Hanging out with Conor McGregor, probably. Yeah, so this goes on to get made and uh, is filmed about 14 weeks in Jolly Old. Dang. And it originally had a budget of $4 million, which like when they were casting, some of the more high-level actors like didn't want to agree because of this. They thought, like, oh, it's just going to be some fucking shitty little movie but uh harrison ford they wanted him oh really for which part for dallas what what's his name davis yeah yeah. dallas dallas um yeah that's like uh against meryl streep was but yeah exactly he's like guys please i already did han solo (laughs) so yeah um but after ridley was signed on uh the budget upped and they they got cracking on this thing and um that'll bring us right into this week's so alien uh directed by ridley scott who had only done the duelist before this um alien is really known as his breakthrough film so released may 25th in 1979 uh the budget ended up being 11 million and it earned anywhere from 104 to 203.6 million at the box office. Now, now what are you pulling that out of? Now, because that's a lot of like back in the day, Hollywood accounting, probably even today, very oh, yeah. suspect. Accounting like, uh, in general, dude. They it's a like hundred million dollar difference. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. These guys are like somewhere in between there. You guys. know, someone was taking a skim off the top of that, and hundred um, million dollars worth. So yeah. I now we'll get into this breakdown now. I truly hope everybody listening has seen Alien. Um, if not, you should probably like reevaluate your life um, at this point. But the basic plot is this: in deep space, the crew of the commercial starship Nostromo is awakened from their cryo sleep. Halfway through their journey home to investigate a distress call from an alien vessel, the terror begins when the crew discovers a life that has perfectly evolved to annihilate mankind. One by one, each crew member is slain until only Ripley is left, leading to an explosive conclusion. That's pretty good, man. Now, <laughs> now again, uh, like our Halloween episode, I'm surprised that Alien wasn't taken by 1979 <laughs> as the title of a movie. Um, but yeah. Do you think that they were just like, what do we call this one, guys? Well, it's about aliens. Fuck it. We'll call it alien. Well, the dude said when he was writing the script. Orville Redenbacher? No, no, no the other guy, said He said that, uh, I, I forget the, the original the name. Ascot? Yeah. And he said, <laughs> though, bitch. he kept seeing alien in the script and... Why not make this the title? Like, that's a pretty no-brainer. It's about an alien <laughs> eating people. Um, but yeah, any any spiels on the film itself? Like I said, I got a lot of a 2001 vibe from it. And then when you go and watch Aliens and some of the sequels and prequels, it's very different. 
I mean, different directors, so that, that oh, makes yeah. sense. Oh, yeah, and writers. We'll I mean, like, too. almost yeah. every film in it is different, but it's, like, the basic... It's, like, a general plot. This is, same. yeah, laying down the foundation. Alien on the ship, eating everybody, and they got to send it out. You guys ever play Space... Not Space Invaders. Alien Syndrome on the Sega Master System? I did not. Negative. Oof. That's what, I got a lot of vibes of that from watching the movie. Now, what year was that? It had to have been... It's probably influenced by this, I would okay. imagine. I think it's early 80s. Gotcha. So, yeah. Um, anything from your end? I was just going to say, obviously influenced by Star Wars, but I feel like Alien kind of set the tone for other... Thrillers or... Well, not like, thrillers, but like more sci-fi alien type movies. Because just the way that yeah. ship is... Mm. I mean, you can tell that it's influenced by Star Wars, but they kind of did their own like take on it, you know? Yeah, and I mean, and I feel st- like every time you see a movie, like I don't know what is that one, Starship Troopers? Oh yeah, mm. that's uh, big. I mean, that's like Marines in space, similar to Aliens. Well, I mean, like every time you see a movie that takes place in space, everything kind of connect, kind of pulls from that and Star Wars. I feel like, like yeah. those are the first two that kind of set the tone for everything to come yeah and also very different because star wars is more like a a kid film you know alien is like scare the fuck out Mm -hmm. of you you know (laughs) um and yeah the the genre scare the fuck and i feel like the whole thriller aspect is like the halloween concept where it's it's built on like suspense and your imagination i mean you barely see the whole monster it's like you see it's a slow build up and you see like parts of him and then you, you start to see, you know, he emerges, but you never really see the whole monster except for maybe like once or twice. And it's mostly like lurking in the shadows, you know, just like Halloween where we were saying like you never really it's not a very bloody movie. It's more the fear and suspense of he's he's somewhere and you don't know where it's left to your imagination. Kind yeah. Of. And it's like a very <clears throat> the film itself is like very dark and like fog, you know, heavy and it's perfect pacing for the thriller aspect too bad they didn't have a motion tracker for michael myers you know (laughs) yeah so uh (laughs) a little little gps thing but uh just like star wars ridley had a whole team of model guys for all the spaceship sequences and um the the finished model of the nostromo weighed nearly half a ton and um they also built the interior of the ship as essentially one giant like set that was like a maze. And this, like a lot of the actors were saying, like everywhere you turn, it was just like more set. Like it was basically a big circle of like corridors, and like they didn't know how to get out of the damn thing. See, these guys are already paranoid and freaking out from the start, man. Of course, there's going to be tension. Yeah, and the scene, you know, the scene with it where they find the big space jockey. Yeah, it's called. So. That almost didn't even get made because they said, you know, this was too expensive for just a minor scene. But Ridley was really pushing it. And like, this is like one of the most important things like that really freaks you out when you see like this is their whole warning of like, hey, maybe we shouldn't be here. You but, know? Then, but then wasn't uh, really like complaining. No one ever really asked about the giant space jockey. Wasn't that one of his? Oh, really? I didn't see that. I thought I saw that. Oh, maybe. Well, I mean, they explain it all in the prequels, which we'll get to. That's true. Next week. That's true. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, uh, and honestly, filming in the suits, well, not honestly, ac- and actually, uh, honestly, <laughs> filming I'm in honestly the, asking. Filming in the suits, uh, actors nearly passed out 
due to a combination of the heat and lack of oxygen. This suit had no, no like ventilation, so they were just it's all carbon dioxide they were inhaling. And uh, in one scene, um, when they're on the planetoid and it's like the landing gear, they had like a uh, huge landing gear built. But Ridley thought it didn't look big enough, so he actually used his uh, two sons and one of the producer's sons as stand-ins um, to stand next to it <laughs> so that it looked bigger. And even in the scene where they, they do the long shot, where they find the space jockey, those are his kids and the other guy's kids in suits. Hmm. And um, just to make it look like so much bigger than it actually was. Yeah, that's why I only date girls with little hands. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, the alien, let's get into the alien in all of its forms. So we've got, you know, first we see it as the egg, you know, the, the infamous face hugger. Um, the egg scene, this was actually shot separately from the rest of the film after uh, shooting had wrapped. Um, they, use a f- they use fiberglass for the body when he shines his light on it. And it's actually Rib- Ridley's uh, hands going like fluttering when Kane shines his light on it and sees the inside. And for the top inside of the egg, they used a cow's stomach and tripe. Um, you know, that's basically like uh, sh- sheep's uh, innards. And uh, they shot uh, another thing of sheep intestine out a high pressure hose. And like slowed it down for the scene where it latches onto his face. Oh, and fun. yeah, and then the scene where they actually dissect the face hugger and they're like looking at its innards. Um, this was they used oysters and other bits of seafood. So this guy's just like like oh, uh, let's get some oysters on set. Oysters, <laughs> caviar, KY jelly. Yeah. Got all the aphrodisiacs going on here. So uh, and then we get to the chest buster scene. You know, everybody knows this iconic mm-hmm. scene, right? Um, this is where they're at the table and uh, Homeboy gives birth, quote unquote, to the alien that has incubated itself inside him. Uh, this plays a big role in one of those Freudian aspects of the film. But uh, Ridley used a interesting approach here. Actually, the actors, they knew an alien was going to come out of his stomach, but they did not know that he was going to shoot all this blood out using high pressure pumps. <laughs> and so basically when this happened, like the actors were totally caught off guard. One lady even fainted, I think. So like you're seeing a genuine reaction there. Now I thought that was interesting because if you, he's using the element of surprise, right? Right. But if for some reason he didn't get the shot, then his whole spiel, his whole thing is messed <laughs> up. Right. Like, say something happened where he couldn't use that shot, you know? Yeah, you take a chance. You guys got a high level of confidence. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Okay, I guess so. So the chest buster puppet itself. He's trying to get his own chest buster going on with all those oysters. Oh, my God. Dick joke. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, but, I mean, he's busting on his own chest or someone else's? You gotta ask Ridley Scott that. <laughs> so uh, the chest He's buster, not Harvey Weinstein, right? I don't think so. But not. who knows what could come out in the future? I, I don't he's think got so. Got a lot though. of caviar and KY laying around. <laughs> we know over. he's got that on set. <laughs> um, it's not just for props, right? I'll tell you that. 
So yeah, the puppet was actually influenced by this 1944 painting from Francis Bacon, not the guy that did Bacon's Rebellion. Um, <laughs> it was <laughs> called a different Francis yeah, different Bacon. Francis Bacon, a more expensive Francis Bacon. Um, this guy also a freak, um, but this was no. called. Three studies for figures at the base of a crucifixion. And that's our just Google it. I mean, check out this painting. Rob, you're an artist. What's your read on that? Um, Actually, a pretty famous painting, dude. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Now, anything you can tell us from an artist's perspective? You took a lot of art classes. I was reading about this, and, you know, art for me, I just don't get it. I don't get it. I wish I could look at something and be like, oh, that's a... Um, So-and-so this Yeah, year. yeah, you know, but uh, I was, like, looking at it like, this looks like a little kid's drawing <laughs> of, like, a snake or something. And it probably sells for millions. Yeah. Oh, yeah, actually, I... So, the guy that painted this, he actually sold another one of his paintings sold um, in November 24th. Uh, thirteen for a hundred and forty-two point four million, and at the time, this was the highest price attained at auction for a work of art when not factoring in inflation. Unbelievable! But that record was broken by uh, one of Picasso's um, in 2015. But still, I mean, that's crazy. Look up this man's artwork and tell me if you'd pay one hundred forty-two million. One hundred twenty-four million. Somebody Whatever. would. Yeah, I mean, uh, look. Yeah, look this stuff up. It's called uh, Three Studies for Figures at the Base of a Crucifixion." Francis Bacon. Well, I think that a lot of people, when they think of art, are expecting more like Mona Lisa type shit. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think of like a masterpiece. Yeah. And this is just a lot more abstract, obviously, than that. Definitely a got lot the, more abstract. What's the <laughs> Definitely thing? Definitely got those Picasso vibes to it. So, what type of art is that? Renaissance? <laughs> no, this is not. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm honestly asking, <laughs> what is it called then? Um, impressionist? Is that what it is? No, I would not. Surreal. Consider. That's it, right? I guess you could kind of consider it surreal, but surrealist. This guy's a surreal painter. Now, <laughs> you're really fucking with me right now. Now, uh, um, wait, hold on. I, I want to look into this a little bit real quick. We'll wait. <laughs> oh my! You could have done this before. We I didn't know we were gonna get into a fucking damn art discussion. It's been in the outline all week, bud. Yeah, <laughs> for like the past two days. We know that he doesn't read the outline. <laughs> I did read the outline. It does, nowhere in it does it say art discussion with Rob. So why don't you go check the fucking outline? He got you there. Well, as an art major, I would have thought you would already have a spiel prepared. Oh, I'm so sorry. I mean, when we talked about the pyramids, I had the history aspect covered. Man, pour one out. This guy died in 1992. Uh This is a major time to ground control. Yeah, you can't really find anything. I'm stepping through. Because he does a lot of different shit, so. Surreal, we'll go with that. Well, hey, if we've got any, how about this? If we've got any artists out there listening or art majors, I'm sure there's some of them. Somebody out there. Um, let us know what this is. I mean, maybe surreal, maybe uh, Renaissance. We don't know. <laughs> 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 okay. Every piece of art is Renaissance. <laughs> That's all I have for Just art. Has to do with- That's what I got for art. All right. Um, yeah, but I so in 2007, 
Empire magazine named the chestbuster scene as the greatest 18 and over moment in film, ranking it above the decapitation scene in The Omen and the transformation sequence in American Werewolf in London. Mm. Now, what do you guys take on that? Do you guys think there's any other moments in film history where you were like, oh, like gagging and wincing and cringing at the screen? What do you guys What do you guys got for those? Does it have to be like a morbid scene like that? Or because what about like some naked chicks? Or like teeth. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, actually I read that uh, Scott wanted – wanted it to be one of the like the movie was like supposed yeah, to freak like, guys yeah, out they want, he wanted them the to, theaters. yeah yeah that's what i did when i saw teeth man i was scarred man yeah. i told my girlfriend i couldn't have sex for a few weeks like a was, few weeks Jesus. i was scared dude i mean yeah that movie was definitely up there what what about you rob any scenes that made you cross your legs <laughs> in teeth or in alien in any in general in any yeah jackass do you agree that uh, Chessbuster's scene is one of the greatest scenes 18 and over in cinematic history? That's basically what I'm asking. I mean, it's definitely iconic. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I like would I, say now it's a little bit dated, t- but... Top five, at least? You would know, like, if you saw that scene, like, oh, this is Alien. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely top five. Okay. All right. So now let's get into the xenomorph itself. Now, xenomorph. Xenomorph. It means strange form um and the the construction this is the full-grown alien that we see and um the construction of the alien body the full-grown alien body used vertebrae from snakes and cooling tubes from an old rolls royce and they used loads of ky jelly for saliva and the slime effect now you might be you know thinking how the hell did they come up with this crazy looking alien? Because, you know, movies before this, like uh, Close Encounters, you see the classic like gray or like okay. little green man alien, you yeah. know? So how did they get this crazy alien? How did they get this crazy alien, you ask? How did they get this crazy looking alien? You gotta hit so, up a crazy guy. Yeah, so the xenomorph is credited to this guy, H.R. Giger. Uh, he's a Swiss painter. Now, again, pour one out. Uh, this guy died in 2014 at age 74. Or did he? <laughs> Maybe not. He's a vampire. Vampire's yeah. going to die, dude. <laughs> a vampire. Did someone this, get a, a stake through his heart or what? This guy, yeah, was weird as fuck. So according to several people uh, who worked on the film, they thought this guy was strange, odd. Um, a lot of the creators were like hesitant to meet him because they thought he was so weird. Um, and we've pulled just a small clip so you guys can get a little glimpse into this guy's psyche. The light hurts me. <laughs> if you have too much sun, you like then in the, to be in the shadow. And I like always to be in the shadow, <laughs> in the dark. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this guy, apparently he dressed like a vampire. Um, and it's clear from that clip, he hated being in the light. Um, and he actually offered, I believe it was Shuset, opium the first time they met because he said it protects him from his thoughts and according to some of the people on set uh one of the more bizarre rumors was that he had a skull in his office which was belonged to lee tobler uh his fiance who committed suicide in 1975 so i hear this rumor of course i got to do some digging into this 
And so on set, um, David Geiler, uh, one of the producers who helped to do the rewrites for the script, heard that the skull, he had a skull in the doorway of his house, uh, Giger did, and it was his deceased fiance's. Um, Sigourney Weaver and Shuset um, had also heard this rumor, and this guy Alan Dean Foster heard that it was this. He had a full skeleton from a former mistress Ugh. hanging from his ceiling, <laughs> and the rumor also got pushed to the extent that Roger Christian heard um, three of Giger's wives and or mistresses had committed suicide, and he had their skulls preserved. <laughs> and mounted on his bedpost. Oh. <laughs> now, uh, most of this can be uh, traced back to rumors started by Giger's girlfriend at the time, who would like tell these crazy stories as a joke. You when making up stories like this, about, like, <laughs> yeah, when, yeah, when all the actors would go out to like uh, drink at these pubs by where they were filming, she would tell these as a joke. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty funny, right? <laughs> He's got a skeleton of his ex-girlfriend <laughs> hanging up yeah. in the apartment. So in 2009, uh, Dennis Lowe uh, spoke with Giger about this. He made a documentary called Alien Makers 2, and uh, Giger was apparently shocked. And this, he assured him that, no, 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 like, I never had, um, I didn't keep preserved bones of my ex-lovers, you know. Uh, but... Who wants but, to admit to that, you know? Hey, man, hey. we saw that documentary. I think I has some weird stuff in his house. <laughs> yeah. So. The skeleton was taking a shower. One uh, disturbing Good story, though. Check out this very disturbing story. Did come from William Mahone, who worked on a few concepts for the film. Um, he said this. All the walls in Giger's home were painted black, and nearly all his artwork was stored there. He told me he would never sell anything, but occasionally would give things away. Canvases were stacked all around the house, five, six, maybe ten deep. And these paintings were huge. They were huge! <laughs> he also had statues of the alien there and some weird furniture. One day I was walking around and I noticed that one of his paintings had several holes in it and was stained. I said, Giger, somebody had damaged your painting. He calmly said, oh no, that is where my girlfriend blew her brains out. Oh, shit. I asked his ex-wife, Mia, about this, and she said, Yes, it's true. Lee shot herself in front of the painting, and he decided to leave the evidence on it there as part of the painting. Renaissance AF, man. Now, yeah, I mean, this guy is a very strange character, probably why his art was so good. Um, I mean, can you imagine uh, being on set with this guy? Hey, Kig, uh, are you crazy for that one? <laughs> like, uh, they send one of the like um, set guys down. Oh, hey, go get the uh, statue from Giger. Hey, uh, Giger, um, it's completely dark in the office. I'm uh, here to get the um, skeleton you made for the xenomorph. I'll just be here in the shadows. <laughs> uh, Giger, is this um, the right skeleton? There's a lot of bones in here. That's my girlfriend's bones. <laughs> Do not touch them, please. This guy is fucking crazy. So, uh, Yo, I heard uh, he stopped at a gas station one time, and the gas station attendant lost 300 pounds after meeting him. Stephen King? Giger. You're thinking of a Stephen oh. King novel. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
So, yeah, this guy had a book of art out called uh, Necronomicon in 1977. And yes, yeah, this was based off of H.P. Lovecraft's Necronomicon. And there was a painting titled Necronomicon 4. I'll post that on the Instagram. Uh, This is where Ridley Scott, he saw Giger's work and he... He knew that right away the single biggest design problem and possibly even the biggest problem in the film had been solved uh, when he saw this painting. Um, he knew he wanted this to be the alien of the film. Uh, Ridley actually flew to Zurich to meet Giger, and then he recruited him to work on all aspects of the alien and its uh, environment, including the uh, surface of the planet, the ship, the wrecked spacecraft, and all forms of the alien from the egg to the adult. This guy is just blowing money fast on this film. Well, well, yeah. Ridley himself was an artist, right? Like, he drew a whole bunch of the conception art and everything, and he, I think, he knew what he wanted. Well, he drew a, some of the storyboards, right. and then he had a bunch of other artists like Giger and this other guy that did, like, the ship and stuff and the whole, like, those aspects, but Giger did all the alien. But I'm just saying, like, Ridley being an artist himself, uh, like, yeah, I mean, he, he if he knew, sees something in yeah. his head, like, he knew like okay knew, this guy hey, can bring these it guys to life. are good yeah all right so now a, the a xenomorph the most perfect organism as it's been called now it actually its reproduction is based in science based on the uh, tarantula hawk wasp mm. which like paralyzes the tarantula and then drags it to its like nest or whatever lays a bunch of eggs which feed off the um, dead tarantula pretty fucked up look at it and there's also some stuff that o'bannon said he based it on this like uh i think it's like a fly or something that lays eggs in this caterpillar and then all its larvae eat the caterpillar from the inside out Mm. i mean really fucked up stuff so the whole life cycle of the alien is basically like in the original alien film it was like xenomorph mates with a xenomorph eggs get laid and with the face hugger in them, then boom, they come out, get on a human host, and then boom, we get the chest buster, falls into another xenomorph, repeat the process, right? Great video about right on this. that. Yep, yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, check it out. Um, I think it's called like Because Science. They did a good video on the whole uh, alien life cycle. And um, moving right along, uh, for the scene where Ash is revealed to be an android. So they had a puppet created for his torso and upper body, which was operated from underneath the table. And during one of the preview screenings of the film in Dallas, I think it was, uh, this scene where like she knocks his head off, this caused an usher to faint. <laughs> and uh, in the scene where his head is on the table and they like reactivate him, uh, an animatronic head was used making a face cast of Ian Holm but the latex had shrunk while it was uh, drying and they just had to say like fuck it and, and keep going with that scene um, to keep on the schedule so they also had him kneel under the table and his head was up through a hole and they used milk caviar, pasta uh, fiber optics and glass marbles for the android's innards so Sounds yeah, like I mean, a good dinner. Yeah, this guy, like, 
Do you think why this is why the budget was so much? He got <laughs> using fucking Rolls Royce tubes, caviar, and oysters for all his set creations. Like and flying th- out to Transylvania. To get <laughs> <laughs> they have to use caviar. Is that really important? Really? He's like, um, what do we have lying around? Yes, go get me some oysters and caviar. We'll th- throw that around the set with milk. Grab the tubes off the rolls, please. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, so he wanted now. So that's all we got on like uh, interesting scenes, you know, and like how they created them. And actually, Scott said, I think in one of the interviews that he wanted in the end of the film, he wanted the alien to bite off Ripley's head. Mm-hmm. And uh, then he wanted the final log entry to be in her voice. But the but, alien was doing it, right? I don't know. Is that what it was? I think that was. Oh, weird. But yeah, the producers vetoed this idea. They said, no, we got to have the alien die in the end of the film. Um, and then another thing, quick note on the score by Jerry Goldsmith. I mean, this guy did the score for, uh, coincidentally, Freud. Uh, Chinatown, Patton, The Omen, Poltergeist, uh, The Mummy, and even Mulan. Mm. I mean, this guy's legendary, and they hired him to do the score for the movie. But uh, mostly it was like Ridley and the producers. Like, this guy did a whole score, and they kind of were like, nah, we want it to be more weird. So he rewrote the opening title to be like weirder. And then they just like. He, they he wouldn't but he was like no like a score has to be standalone like you should be able to listen to a score without the movie and still be like this is good but they just wanted like weird sci-fi shit in there and uh he didn't really want to do that so they just went behind his back and like bought the rights to some of the stuff he produced for freud and used that in the alien film and when he saw the final product he was apparently like kind of pissed off <laughs> Yeah, because this whole thing is people going behind their backs. I mean, the space jockey scene—he had he had Giger build that too, and some of the executive producers were like, "What the hell is this?" They showed up on the set and they were like, "No, no, no, we're not building this. This is not in the budget. We don't need this." And then apparently Ridley Scott would come on the next day and be like, "Oh, the producer said that. Nah, build it." <laughs> and like, they're all constantly going behind each other's backs. But uh, nonetheless, I mean. Film was a huge success. Um, it had a few limited releases uh, to mixed reviews, just like we explained on Halloween. Um, they had problems with the sound at one screening in St. Louis, and it got bad reviews. Uh, they had a way more successful screening in Dallas. Uh, people were apparently running out to puke in trash barrels outside <laughs> and this is also where that usher fainted at the android scene um Sounds and like dallas yeah and they said i think it was like two of the writers were at that one and it's like they saw people run into the back and they were like fuck like everybody's leaving they're like walking out but they were just moving like they didn't want to be that close to the screen they want because they were scared they want to be in the back <laughs> they want to get like as far away from the screen as possible <laughs> but upon its nationwide release uh, I think they did, like uh, I was seeing in one of the things, they did a three-day nonstop screening at the Egyptian in Hollywood, and there was just lines out the door around the block all three days. Dang. Like 24 hours, just it played on a loop, and it was like never like not sold out. <sighs> and, you know, so needless to say, film went on to become a massive success, uh, influenced a ton of sci-fi and thrillers films to come, 
and uh, Roger Ebert. Now get this, and let me know if you guys think this is a dick move or not. Um, well, first off, he said that uh, like one of the things that played into Alien was that the actors were older. You know, it's not like Halloween where it's like teenage kids running around getting murked. Uh, the actors were older, so this was like uh, it made the characters more convincing, and this was a big part of what made it like um, appeal to audiences because these guys were just average Joes. You know, this is so far in the future that they're like basically truckers in space. You know, they're driving this huge refinery back to Earth, and they're just like you know they're not crazy scientists like uh, Interstellar or Two Thousand One. It's just they're like everyday working guys me and you going up to space trying to bring this hall back and then uh so when it first came out ebert said this is quote unquote basically just an intergalactic haunted house thriller inside a spaceship (laughs) he said uh he said um one of several science fiction pictures that were quote real disappointments compared to star wars close encounters in 2001 However, later, uh, he basically retracted this. He added it to his great movies list. Um, He gave it four stars and said that it is a great original. So he's basically just going back on what he says after, like, it gets all these good reviews. Yeah. And uh, it went on, the film went on. So is that a dick move? Like, all these people out here saying oh this film sucked but then once more and more people see it and say like oh yeah this is fucking awesome then he's like oh actually yeah it was actually really good i feel he like it doesn't want to look like an asshole yeah that's what it is i feel like it's one of those movies where if you watch it the first time maybe you're unsure so if you go back and watch it again you got to watch it twice yeah i think maybe maybe I'm, I'm trying to make it seem like ebert's not a douche but maybe he is yeah so the film went on to win several saturn awards and most notably it won an academy award for visual effects so it got an oscar and in 2002 alien was deemed culturally historically and aesthetically significant by the national film preservation board uh, and it was inducted into the national film registry of the Library of Congress for historical preservation. Just like, I believe, uh, I think Star Wars, Close Encounters, and Blade Runner mm. are the only other films that we've covered that have had this honor. So that's two of Ridley Scott's films. Hey. You know? <laughs> Guy's killing it. And the American Film Institute uh, ranked Alien as the seventh best film in the science fiction genre as part of its AFI's top ten. Now, ripoffs. So, of course, there's going to be ripoffs, right? Oh, yeah. Bet your ass there is. So, when this thing opens, it's a massive success, and there ended up being a ton of ripoffs released to cash in on the idea. Um, the Alien Dead, same year, uh, but this had its title changed last minute to cash in on Alien's popularity. It was not originally called The Alien Dead, but they switched it. Um, Contamination in 1980 was initially going to be titled Alien 2. (laughs) And in 20th Century Fox lawyers, uh, they basically contacted the director, Luigi Cozy, and made him change the name. I mean, oh, that was a big success. Yeah, my film is called Alien 2. (laughs) No. So then an unauthorized sequel to Alien titled Alien 2 on Earth 
was released in 1980 and included alien creatures that incubate in humans and a ton of other science fiction films of that time um, took elements from Alien, including Galaxy of Terror in 81, which is actually a hilarious B-horror movie. Me and Chris watched it one day. <laughs> and um, in Seminoid in 81, Forbidden World in 82, and Dead Space in 91 all stole um, aspects of Alien. Now, so here we go. We'll get into some of the uh, Freudian themes. You guys know anything about this guy, Sigmund Freud? German, right? I don't know. Austrian, maybe? <laughs> I don't remember. I took a philosophy class in college, but I usually used it to watch hockey games. So what did what did you learn about Freud? Freudian slip? Freudian slip, So yeah. what's that all I, about? I just know the term. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, one of the aspects that made the film so frightening was the uh, face hugger scene. Yeah. Now, a writer said when they came up with this idea, they were trying to think of a creative way to get the creature onto the ship. So they came up with the idea of reproduction, you know, and thus the idea of forced reproduction was introduced, um, and they specifically wrote this to happen to a man. So this is like the original Me Too movement. Well... Men getting raped by Yeah, yeah, I guess it was like all about rape. And they, this way, um, it would resonate more with male viewers. Like you were saying, he wanted the males to like wince at the screen. Because, you know, we've all seen the damsel in distress, you know, oh, yeah. especially back then in like 50s sci-fi. It's always a, a woman getting taken, man comes to save the day. This one, um, boom, this is happening to a man. This can happen to anybody, you know, these fucking tough dudes getting fucking face raped by an alien. And uh, one critic said this was payback for the many films in which women are portrayed as sexually vulnerable. Um, and, you know, no one's safe. This thing will rape anybody, you know? They out here raping everybody. Yeah, uh, a- this, these aliens are like Deadpool. They oh, want to fuck everybody. And a ton of people uh, analyze the film as having heavy sexual imagery um, and very phallic. Now phallic that's like a penis how come there's no term like phallic for vagina you ever wonder there probably that? is well what would it be i don't know i have to do some research <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i've seen you do research on vaginas so, but <laughs> so, um, i mean you look at the chest buster and even the alien's head the xenomorph's head very phallic very phallic and o'bannon even mentioned that when he was writing this one thing that people are all disturbed about is sex. I said, that's how I'm going to attack the audience. I'm going to attack them sexually, and I'm not going after women in the audience. I'm going to attack the men. I'm going to put it every image I can think of to make men in the audience cross their legs. Homosexual oral rape birth. This thing lays its eggs down your throat, the whole number. So this guy says one thing people are all disturbed about is sex? Uh, you ever been to Europe, buddy? Well, this guy is the nerd from America. That's true. But it's Orville Redenbacher. I mean, (laughs) disturbed by sex? I wouldn't say that. Well, I'm disturbed by the idea of homosexual face rape. (laughs) Well, (laughs) yeah, but that's not sex. If I said to you, hey, talk about sex, man. Like, we talk about that all the time, right? Yeah, but... This is not the 1970s, but I also feel like the 1970s, everyone was cool with that. Yeah, Yeah, 69, dude. Summer of 69 happened right before. I think this guy is just a nerd. 
<laughs> Maybe he's disturbed about sex. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And he put his well, own. Think about uh, his audience too, sci-fi nerds. No that's true. Actually, that's very true. Yeah. Mm. Um, so now, what do we? What can we say about the whole uh, film? I mean, thoughts on the film, or it's like influence on other films. Like I said, my favorite influence was definitely Metroid. There's the whole mother aspect. Oh, the whole, yeah. And female lead, female strong lead. female lead. Is Definitely the hero. see a lot of it in Aliens too when she's switching between weapons and just fucking shit up. Yeah. Badass, dude. Um, Not Aliens too. Aliens. Yeah, Aliens. Not um, to be confused with Alien too. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, yeah, on Earth. I mean, I, w- I thought it was cool how much, um, like you already said, Stranger Things was influenced by Alien. Mm-hmm. With the uh, upside down, the uh, not really an alien, but still like a Demogorgon. crazy creature chasing them around, demigod. Yeah. So the the this guy, the author of the unofficial and unauthorized guide to the Alien and Predator films, he writes that the film appeal appeals to a variety of audiences, and I think this is why. Uh, we can chalk it up to being such an excess despite everybody making the film going behind each other's backs. Um, you know, fan, he says fans of Hitchcockian thrillers like it because it's gothic and dark. Uh, gore fans like it for the chest buster scene. Uh, sci-fi fans love the whole space aspect. And men love the battle for survival element. And then women love that... Um, they're not being cast as helpless victims, you know. The film has a strong female lead, a heroine, you know, um, in Ellen Ripley. Sigourney Weaver. Yeah. So Alien also led, I mean, massive success, you know, no secret. And uh, this <laughs> led 20th Century Fox to finance three direct sequels over the next 18 years, um, each by different writers and directors, uh, two crossover films with the Predator universe and two prequels, which were released um, in 2012 and 2017, along with a third announced. But there seems to be some speculation on that. And this is where we'll pick up next week. Uh, we're going to discuss the sequels, uh, the prequels, get into some of those influences mostly on the prequels an in-depth look at the universe as a whole the timeline and some theories and ideas on the upcoming film so tune in next week to find out uh all about that and on that you guys got anything well once again slide into those dms hit us up we still got some stickers left Podcast from Outer Space on Instagram, podcast from Outer Space at gmail.com if you want to hit us up on email. Uh, send us any thoughts, some stuff you might want to hear coming up, or, you know, just drop by, say hey, say what's up. All the single ladies out there, please go ahead, feel free to slide <laughs> into still those single. DMs. Now, also, um, like we said on the last episode, we will be at Comic Con this year. Uh, got some shirts and stickers to hand out. Now, also solo so me and rob have seen it adam still we're waiting on teabag to get in there and see it uh and we'll hit you guys with the review with our take on that our two cents on that and yeah well i don't want to end on a sad note but i did want to say a shout out to my boy anthony bourdain pouring oh, out for him sad, man very sad 
pretty big bummer. Yeah. I passed away at 61 this past week. And, you know, just uh, for those of you who may not know, I am a cook in a kitchen. So he's always been a big inspiration to me. So I just wanted to, you know, shout him out, pay my respects to the man. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Shout out to our guest last week, Nick Laos. Congrats to your stupid ass Capitals winning the Stanley Cup. You know? <laughs> and uh, You're Golden, welcome. Golden oh, State is once still again. holding it right now, probably <laughs> sleeping with it every night. Golden State once again in that rigged league. Um, <laughs> same to get a title. Not a three peat. <laughs> yeah. They're going for the three peat, boys. Well, yes. Um, stay safe out there, guys. Um, thanks for listening. Watch out for crazy aliens and so long and thanks for all the fish. <laughs> <laughs>